Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. I was thinking, I've been thinking about um, when I became a Christian. And I became a Christian uh, in about 2003. um, And I came to faith outside of church. Okay, the church played no part in my salvation story. Um, I was witnessed to by a lady at work, and uh, I thought she was an idiot, and argued with her, trying to prove that she was an idiot, and there was something about her. This, I would say now, it's like the peace of God was on her and in her, and she just kept persevering, kept loving me, and so, you know, just sharing me with the gospel, and... and um, God's love and something, you know, a bit odd. You know, I came to faith through someone telling me about judgment and the end of the world and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, oh, that sounds a bit scary. I should find out more about the person who can save me from that. And I did. I went and bought my first Bible and I came to faith uh, through, a, through a message of grace, a message of uh, God's unmerited favor on our lives, um, which is just astounding. And you can say it like that and it's Nice little concise sentence, but it's astounding. God's grace is amazing. And about 18 months later, I started going to church. One of my friends started going to church, and he had uh, been a mate of mine. I, I told her what happened to me, and then he'd come to faith, and then he started going to church. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should go to church as well. I probably should. It seems to talk about that in the Bible, because I was reading my Bible and loving it. Um, so I went to church. And I, got, I was amazed by this church I walked into. It was a good church, and people were there sharing God's love. They were worshipping together. Uh, they were missional uh, and stuff like that. I was like, wow, that's exactly what the church in Acts looks like. You know, they're praying for each other. They, they're praying for people to be healed. They're praying for God to move. They're praying for boldness. Uh, and that's what I had seen in my Bible. And, um, and I loved it. It was great. But then slowly over time, I started getting a little bit distracted there was stuff to do. The chairs needed putting out. I was like, ah. Well, from my perspective, it looks like everyone who is a good Christian here is putting the chairs out. So I too shall put the chairs out. I too shall go to home group. I too shall go to Bible studies and help lead Bible studies because that's what good Christians do. I'll get involved in the worship team. Um, I couldn't play guitar before then, and then I learned to play guitar there um, in the church, in the worship team. I was given opportunities to do that. It's amazing stuff, really good stuff, good equipping church, giving you opportunities for a young guy. I was 19, 18, 19, giving opportunities for a young guy to step out and start serving and being part of the life of the church. But I got it wrong. I started to get distracted. I started to think that I had to put the chairs out, that I had to attend home group, that I had to read my Bible every morning and every evening to make sure that I really understood it. And I started to think that this gospel of grace, where it's entirely God's gift to us, was something I had to earn. This salvation, I had to earn it. I had to make sure I did all the right things to ensure that I knew I'd get salvation, that I knew I'd, I'd be all right. And I got it completely wrong, and I completely burnt out as well. I, I ran away from church for a month or so, because I was just like, I can't handle this. It's all too much. It's asking too much of me. I can't do it. Um, and I was completely lost 
distracted. I got it completely wrong. And, you know, fortunately, I met, uh, met up some people and they sort of said, no, it's not about that. You can do that stuff, and that's all good stuff to do, but your salvation is independent on it. Right? It's about grace. It's about God's gifts. Okay, 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 fine. I'll start going back to church. And over time, I just have to keep checking myself. Do I just think I keep doing the stuff because I think it's more, more important than it is? Is, is? is it about my salvation, or is it actually about my response to an almighty God who stepped in and intervened on my behalf? Um, and... Uh, but I think, I think we're all at risk a lot of the time of getting into that trap. Okay, We might come along, we've got a load of people who have joined us in the past year or so, um, and I'm very aware that I, it can look like there's all this stuff you have to do. And the reality is that it's good stuff to do, it will help you, it will bless you, but you don't have to do it. There isn't that weight on you that's there that you have to do it for your salvation. God gifts you that. He gives you that as a free gift, and it is truly amazing that he does. Um, you know, as Christians, um, there are good things for us to do. We're called to holy living, right? God, is sancti- God sanctifies us, okay? He sanctifies us for holy living. He sets us aside, right? That's God's work. He sets us aside. We can't sanctify ourselves. We can't brush, brush ourselves up, make ourselves shine a bit better. It's God's work. He does that work. And he's chosen us. If you're a Christian here today, if you're a born-again believer today, God set, has set you apart, right? And he continues to do that through your life, just making you more and more like Jesus. You know, we might not be nuns and monks, but nevertheless, for the born-again, for the believer, we're called to holy living, lives set apart for him. And that can scare us but it's his work, it's not you. It doesn't come down to you. How freeing is that? It doesn't come down to you. We must remember that there's grace and mercy for when we're struggling, all right? When we can't do the things that are good for us to do, God's grace and mercy is sufficient for us. Um, As John Groves said last week, you know, there's no condemnation for us. Those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Um, And we shouldn't put that on ourselves either. Um, this morning, we're going to look at one of my favorite um, books of the Bible, which is that in Philippians. And um, we're going to uh, have a look at it and see what Paul is writing to that church, and see what God's saying to us today in that same, same vein. Um, so I'd like you to grab your Bible, if you've got one, or your phone, uh, or your iPad, or whatever it is. I like using a proper Bible. I have been steadily abandoning digital media <laughs> because it just doesn't work so well for me uh, in many ways. Um, But um, I love reading from my Bible. So if you can find it and follow with me, it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9, and it will come up there. Perfect. So let's read that. And um, I'll read that for us, and then we can go from there. Paul writes, I entreat Eudea, and I entreat Cynthia to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the truth that it is and for the way that you speak to us through your word. I pray that this morning, Lord, that you'd be setting things in our minds and on our hearts, Lord, that um, you want to talk to us about. And I pray, Lord God, that as I share from your word this morning, that you would help us to filter out what's from you and what's not. And I just pray, Lord, that, yeah, you'd be speaking to us this morning. Let us be a people open this morning, Lord, to hearing from you today. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I love this letter that Paul has written to the church at Philippi. Um, Paul wrote this to a church just like ours, um, a family, family of believers in one place, and um, I think one reason that Philippians is in the Bible um, is because of passages like this. And they remind us that the early church had its problems as well. You know, I'm sure many of us can very quickly think of a few problems uh, with, our, with this church. Uh, I'm sure there are things that sort of at the back of your mind thinking, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, he's mentioning problems. Yeah, there's definitely that one that he definitely needs to resolve. His shirt is all sorts of the wrong colour. Um, <laughs> there's not enough checks on it. Um, but the early church had its problems. The church today has its problems. And I think Paul writes this as an encouragement to us. Um, encouragement to that church, but an encouragement today for us as well. That, uh, of how we should walk through this life as a church family and work it out together. Um, Paul starts off by speaking about unity, um, which will come up there in a moment. Hopefully. Thank you. Uh, so Paul starts off talking about unity. All right, There's a problem in the church. Um, uh, between these two women. All right? There's some sort of issue. We, Paul doesn't tell us what it is. We don't know what it is. Um, but he's clearly not taking sides. There's no favouritism there. He says, urge this one and urge this one, or I entreat this one, I entreat this one. All right? He's saying to both of them, let's get this sorted out. There's a problem here. Let's get it sorted. Um, and it's both of their responsibility to make it right. right? Paul's saying, like, both of you, Sort this problem out. Um, and division in the church, it might seem like a small thing, some sort of vague disagreement between these two ladies. But division is no small thing. We're called to unity. And if you have something against your brother or sister here today, if you're a fellow believer here today and you've got a problem with them, or the relationship isn't right, or there's struggles, there's difficulties, we're called to do something about it. We need to resolve it. It, it, it might seem like a small thing, but it really matters. There's a theologian called Alec Motya, and he says that division among Christians is a serious flaw in the church's armour against the world. And he also says that where there is disharmony inside the church, there is bound to be defeat outside. Where Christians cannot bear the sight of each other, they will not be able to look the world in the face either. They cannot win on the main front of their contact with the world if they're secretly carrying on warfare on a second front of their own devising. That is scary. If you're wondering why 
unity is so important and division is such an issue. It's because we're here for a mission, all right? God's put us here for a mission, to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptise in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all right? He's, we've got a job to do. We've got a mission to do. And when we're having squabbles between ourselves, that impairs our ability to do that work that God's called us to. All right? This is important stuff. We are a church family. There's a reason we have family in our name. It's because we value this really highly. Um, it really does matter. Um, another thing you might notice when you look at the passage, um, so keep looking through your Bibles as I'm reading this morning, um, Paul asks someone else to intervene. Okay? He, he says to this fellow, um, uh, fellow yoke bearer, um, or true companion in this one, but it depends what version you're reading. Um, this true companion, another worker in Christ, um, possibly an elder or a pastor in the church, and he says to them, get involved, help, help these two ladies. Um, and that's a bit of a challenge, actually, for me. I find that a real challenge, because I am a, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm an elder in the church, it's a challenge for Neil, it's a challenge for anyone in leadership. Um, and sometimes there will be situations that we have to step in on. So don't be surprised if there is an issue that sometimes we will do our very best to lovingly come alongside and say, come on, guys, let's get this sorted. We love you. We're a family. Let's make sure we're a good family. Let's make sure we're loving one another well. Um, but I don't think Paul's only speaking to elders and pastors. I think it's also a message for all of us as Christians, if we're a Christian here today, that we should seek to restore our brothers and sisters into right, in, in the church into right relationship with each other again. If there's problems, come on, guys, we're brothers and sisters. I preach about this loads. You know, we're some fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we have to look after each other and step in. Say, guys, there's a problem here. Let's, come on, let's, let's sort it out. Let's make this relationship right again. Um, you know, we're not, none of us can just sit there and go, oh, there's an issue over there. Let's just avoid it. Um, you know, sometimes if we know them and care for them, let's lovingly sort that out. Um, so I think we all have a responsibility to restore relationship within the church family, whether it's of our causing or not. Whether we've had any involvement at all, I think it's our responsibility to try and seek unity. You know, let us encourage one another. Let's um, seek reconciliation with one another. And after encouraging unity then, so that's something to sit on and dwell on. This is going to be your standard, kind of standard three-point sermon, um, which is very rare for me. Um, uh, turning into a Baptist, turning back into a Baptist. No, I was a Baptist. Um, <laughs> uh, like you were an Anglican. Um, but Paul encourages unity, okay? So let's think about that, okay? We're going to come back to that at the end. Um, but after encouraging unity, Paul encourages the church uh, with some practical truths, okay? He lays some things out for the church at Philippi. And he says to, um, to know God's peace, and he explains how we do that. He says to rejoice, okay? So let's look at that passage. Um, verse 4 to, to 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Um, it's a verb. It's an active word, okay? Paul's saying we should be glad or delighted, full of, you know, be happy uh, because of what, who Christ is and what he's done. That is some, you know, that's the biggest thing we can rejoice at. There is no greater thing than rejoicing in him. He's the one who we can rejoice in because of who he is and what he's done. And rejoice, is, those of you who know Philippians well will know that it's a real common theme in this book. Um, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, in every circumstance. 
And sometimes that's just hard work. It's really hard to rejoice in every circumstance, all right? When you're in the darkest place in your life, just being told to rejoice just feels like, oh, there's more to do. I've got all this to deal with already, God. Don't you know that? But he still says, rejoice in the Lord always. So Paul's not saying it'd be easy to rejoice, but our perspective has to be right, okay? When we encounter, when we behold Almighty God, everything else falls into its right place. You know, there's, even in the hardest times, God's still good. And so for the believer, the disciple of Jesus, you, even in the darkest times, you still have salvation. That's a huge thing to be thankful for, isn't it? To be rejoicing. It's like, thanks God. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Um, I still have salvation, even in the darkest times. You still have eternal life. Wow! Even the darkest times. You still have a good, good father who loves you. And so even in the darkest of times, we can still rejoice because of Christ, because of who he is. Um, and, you know, those of you who have been in the church a long time will know my story. All right? I don't say this stuff lightly. Okay? Four months in hospital with the very likely death of your child. Remembering who God is. Rejoicing in that gets you through, all right? I don't say that lightly. I've, this, is, this is my life I've walked, and um, he is good, even in those times. After that, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Does anyone, has anyone ever said reasonableness to someone else? No? It's a very strange word. Um, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known. And if you read all the all different translations of the Bible, some say gentleness, some say moderation, some say graciousness, some say gentle forbearance. And most people seem to take that as, actually, it's a call to be like Christ. It's a call to be like him. Um, it's a, play, it's, a, it's a call to be open-armed towards others. Jesus was so open-armed towards other people, the broken and the hurting. He was so open-armed towards other people. Um, it's a call to be people who are happy to accept people as they are, wherever they've come from, whatever background, whatever situation they're in at the moment, let us be open-armed and open-hearted towards those who come into this place. BFC is a place where we want everyone to be able to walk through the doors, everyone from this community and the surrounding areas to be able to come through these doors and encounter the love of God. This is not a place where we're going to shut the door and go, you don't quite fit our mould, thank you very much, clear off. All right? That is not the heart of this church. We want everyone to be welcome in our doors. Paul goes on to say, the Lord is at hand. Ooh, I like that one. He's calling the church. He's saying, he's calling church to readiness. You know he's at hand. You know he's coming. You know he's returning. Paul spoke this about 2,000 years ago, all right? You know he's coming. He's saying it to them. Soon. He's at hand. He's coming soon, all right? So we're still 2,000 years later thinking, well, he hasn't come just yet. But we should always live in the light that one day he, return, he will return. One day he's coming back. He will come in the clouds. 
He left in the clouds, he comes in the clouds. It's amazing truth. But, and we don't know when that's going to be, right? Only the Father knows. And I think this, this passage is exciting. I find that really exciting. God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. But as well as that, there's a sense that he is present now. He is at hand. He's here now. He's here today. Um, he's present by his spirit. You know, we, like I said about suffering, going through hard times and having to rejoice even in the hard times, we can rejoice because he is there. All right? Even in the valley, in darkness, he is there. Um, so he is the one who enables us to rejoice. And because of Christ's presence, right, because he is at hand, because Jesus is at hand, he's, he's with the believers, okay, at Philippi, at church in Philippi, um, Paul calls the Philippians to not be anxious. So don't be anxious about anything. Steve Petch, who's the guy who planted this church some years ago, uh, said to me, said to a group recently, like prayer is, um, sorry, worry is prayer without God. All right? And prayer, Paul tells us that prayer is the antidote for worry. When there are things we're worried about, when the things that are getting us all caught up, turning to God in prayer is, is the action that we should be doing. Uh, it's like the antidote for worry. Now, I'm, I'm really conscious, okay, that there are people here today. Um, who might hear Paul's comments saying, you know, do not be anxious about anything. Um, and it might seem like a really glib, light-hearted thing. It's like, you know, Paul isn't just like going, yeah, don't worry about it. Turn to God in prayer, you'll be fine. It's not a light-hearted thing that Paul says. Um, I just want to say, I'm not an expert on this stuff. Okay, I have done quite a lot of reading recently on stress and anxiety and things. Um, but I'm no expert. But did you know that in the UK, figures range between six and eight million people are diagnosed with some sort of anxiety-related problem? Um, and what's scary is that it is becoming more and more prevalent in the under-35s. All right? And I'm still young enough to consider myself in that, you know, to be in that age category. All right? So it is six to eight million people that's like the whole population of London. And it's, it's anxiety in, in, in the sort of sense we're talking about, I'm talking about at the moment, it's a physiological response. It affects our minds and our bodies. Okay? It has a massive impact on us. Our health is affected by anxiety. Um, and Anxiety UK, you can check this stuff out on there. It's good to have a read. It's good to have an awareness of this sort of stuff. But they say it's not a curable thing. It's a normal response to stress or danger, okay? We're, anxiety is our body's natural response um, sometimes. Um, but it explains, they explain on their website how it becomes a problem when it's out of proportion to the situation that you're facing. And I'm really conscious that there are a good number of people here today who struggle with anxiety with a, a variety of different triggers and causes behind it. You know, sometimes it goes back to... Like acute anxiety we're talking about. Sometimes it goes back to childhood situations or even biological things, chemical imbalances and things like that. There's all sorts of reasons that anxiety is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, but let me just say, Paul's comment isn't a glib one. He's not being lighthearted. He's not passing over uh, the struggles of anxiety or belittling it. Paul knew what it was to be anxious. He'd been imprisoned. He'd been beaten over and over again. He'd been stoned. All right. There was one time where he passed out on the floor as though dead. Um, 
He knows what it is to be anxious. What Paul is encouraging us to do, though, is to make a choice. And sometimes it's really hard to make that choice. Um, but when we know that God is with us, when he's at hand, and as Paul says, when, we fo- uh, when he's at hand, as Paul says, when we focus on his greatness rather than our fear, we can get things in better perspective. Our fears shrink in size when we consider the mightiness of our God. Um, and anxiety is harder to deal with when we let it circle round and round in our head. Hello. Got a little friend coming up front. Um, anxiety is harder to deal with when it stays in our heads, which goes round and round and round and round. Um, and Paul offers us a way out, okay, a way to deal with it when it's going round and round in our heads. And what does Paul offer? Has anyone got the verse open? You want to see what he says? He says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He calls us to pray. All right? Get it out of your head. Give it to God. Sometimes that, that prayer can look like, you know, I've, I, I, uh, I've started taking, uh, writing a journal again after a few years of not doing this. And writing it down, saying, God, I'm really struggling with this. This, this problem is causing me real angst it's causing real problems I'm really struggling with it getting it down on page on the page and praying it through with him as you do that I find really really helpful um, so but Paul calls us to turn to God in prayer and I think that's the best way for us to get it out of our heads so it's, what does prayer do it sets our eyes on him prayer in prayer we turn to God we address him we speak to him do you know when you turn to God in prayer they're not empty words all right God hears your prayers when you turn to him, he hears. I just think that's amazing. The creator of heaven and earth, creator of the universe, hears your prayers. He listens. He takes them on. You know, they don't just, they're not just bouncing off a brick wall back to you. God hears your prayers. So we, we, we turn to God. We turn to almighty God and we speak to him. Paul talks about supplication, which is like bringing your needs to him. It's accepting that you need his help. It's accepting that he's bigger than you and that he can handle this. He can deal with this. It's getting ourselves in the right place. And it says to bring our requests, make your requests known to God. You know, answer, God's like, it's like, like God's answering a question, asking you a question, right? When you come to him in prayer, what he's asking you is, what can I do for you? How can I help you? All right? I'm struggling with anxiety. He asks you, how can I help you? And he wants you to answer that question in prayer. It's like, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to break in. I need you to set me free from this. Whatever it is, turn to him. Bring your requests to God. Um, and don't forget Thanksgiving. Um, I, for me, like if I'm praying um, and I, I find myself in a really stressful situation, and I'm just like, ah, God, I need you to do this. I really need you to do this, this, and this. I need you to do this, and I, and I need you to do this. I'm, I, I'm struggling. I, I don't know what to do. But sometimes if I come to God, I go, God, I know you are the Almighty. You're the creator of the universe. You're the one who's given me salvation. You're the one who raises the dead. You're the one who breaks into situations. I'm just so grateful, Lord, that I can address you. I can say, I can come to you now. Um, and that is truly amazing. Um, so don't forget to thank him for who he is. A good place to go for this is the Psalms. Have a look at the Psalms. All right, dig into the Psalms. There is some beautiful stuff in there. It's like, God, my enemies are all around. They're all against me. I might as well be dead. What's going on, God? Um, but I will praise you 
because you are mighty to save and you are, you know, you are amazing God. All right? So getting that thanking God helps us um, in prayer. What's the next thing that we have in this passage? It says, you know, thanksgiving that your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul promises, God promises through Paul, that when we turn to him in prayer, when we're anxious and struggling, when we turn to him in prayer, the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. A peace beyond understanding. How much, do you, how much do you want peace when you're feeling anxious or scared? All right? God says when we turn to him, we will know his peace beyond understanding. It's not a light feeling. And why is it beyond understanding? I think those who struggle with anxiety in a more acute way and have experienced the peace of God at times, um, I'm sure will be able to share that it's probably the most unexpected and unexplainable experience. We're in the most broken place, most fearful place, coming to him and then knowing the peace of God. It's like, it doesn't make sense to, in this situation to know the peace of God. Um, and I just think it's absolutely amazing that he does that. You know, anxiety can be crushing and life experience limiting. But when God breaks in, it is a moment of unexplained peace. When we turn to God in prayer, we make that our discipline, one of these good things I mentioned right at the start, a good thing to do. We make it our discipline uh, in our most anxious moments. God promises us his peace, right? It's not a law. It's not a requirement of you to fulfill for your salvation. Um, It's a conditional promise, all right? If you turn to me, I will give you peace. You know, we're made to live in that relationship with God, I think, yeah, so we're made to walk in relationship with God. Right? You think all the way back to the stories of the Garden of Eden, there's this wonderful line about um, God walking in the cool of the day. And he would call out to Adam and you know, talk to Adam and, and stuff like that. Um, we're, we're built for relationship with God. Um, and um, so God wants us, God tells us afresh, turn to me, rely on me, lean on me. Um, and uh, if we move into his shelter and we choose to follow him, go his way, he promises to guard us with his peace. Um, and it's when we're in that situation, under his guard, we're truly free. That's where real freedom is found. And when the peace of God is guarding us, we're free to praise, we're free to worship, to love and trust to the full. Even in the suffering, even in the broken moments, we are free because we are in him. Our last part of this passage is, speaks about dwelling on the good stuff. It's knowing the God of peace with you, knowing his presence. Um, Paul says this wonderful line, it's worth dwelling on. Finally, brothers, it means brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on these things. Um, God calls us to spend time thinking about the good things. Think about how God's blessed you. Um, we often get hung up on bad things. We'll quite happily sit there and see problems. Um, but we have so many blessings. Um, and I'm, what frustrates me is I think actually the world is ahead of us in a lot of these ways. 
secular world is ahead of us uh, in a lot of these ways. Um, I've recently started, uh, I have a notebook which I journal my thoughts in and prayers in, but I also have a, 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 a journal it's by a company called Best Life, um, and I hate that saying, it really frustrates me. I'm living my best life, it's just such a, it sounds cheesy and whatever. Um, but in there, in the, and in the world at the moment, it's all about, you know what, power of positivity, power of positive thinking, all right? And you know, science seems to show that actually that has a massive impact on us, uh, on our bodies and our mental health. And that's why they're encouraging it. But I reckon Paul was a bit ahead of the curve. All right? This is 2,000 years ago. Paul's saying, dwell on the good stuff. Think about what God's done for you. Look at the things that have happened. All right? Praise God for his blessings, is what he's saying. Um, and I think, you know, yes, okay, science proves that positive thinking has a has some degree of effect on our lives, and it does help us. But I believe that to realise the fullness of what Paul promises, our dwelling needs to be, dwelling on good things, needs to be on the greatest good the world has ever known, that of Jesus Christ, God himself. You know, Jesus went to the cross, lived a perfect life, went to the cross to pay the price that we owed, and he died. He was whipped and beaten and he died on the cross. And then on the third day, he rose. He went to the cross and died and rose again so that we can have relationship with the living God, that we can walk in freedom, freedom from shame. All right? Anxiety is one of those things that can make us feel ashamed. All right? But he came that we might be able to walk in the freedom of knowing him and freedom from shame. Paul goes on to call us to live like he did. He lived a life of obedience to the call of God in the, in the long-term plan as well as in the immediate from moment to moment. Now, let me encourage us all, live in the life of God now. Don't put it off. Seek to follow him on a whim. Seek to follow him in, the, in your planning. To be honest, I'd say that the best plan you can make is to plan to be obedient to God in every moment. That's the best plan you can make in your life. It's a plan to be obedient to God in every moment. And that's where true holiness is found. That's where we walk in the fullness of what God offers us as Christians. So, what about our, the promises then? Well, Paul says, uh, Paul points out that we need to follow God. So we follow Paul as he follows God, is another, another thing that he says. Um, uh, but we're called to follow him. We're called to follow Jesus. And in this context, we see a degree of closing this part of the letter. Paul's drawing this bit to a close. And Paul points to three things. Um, you know, God promises if we devote time to think about the good things and walk in obedience, that he will be present with you. you know, the end of that passage is, um, what, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. God will be present when we do those things. God also promises that when we come to him in prayer, that we will know freedom from our worries and our fears. We're built for relationship with him. Let's not try and do things on our own, but instead live exactly as we were made to live, in relationship with God. And Paul pointed out as well of our need for the church to live in unity, for this family here to live in unity, to live in good relationship together, but also with him. Um, Paul calls the church to live in unity and to sort out our broken relationships within the church family, even the ones found in sort of low-level disharmony, 
I'm a bit grumpy with so-and-so because they said this. I've got a challenge for everyone this morning. If that's your situation, if you're a bit grumpy at so-and-so for having said this, then go and talk to them if they're here. Go talk to them this morning. There is no moment like now to do that. So we're going to respond this morning by sharing communion together um, as a church, as a church family. And um, let me ask the band to come up, please. Um, And we're going to respond in in communion this morning. And one of the things that Paul writes in another one of his letters um, is in 1 Corinthians 11. And he says... Stop. Um, He says in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Um, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of what body of Jesus and the body of the church, I believe, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Um, And that's a really scary passage. That's a really scary passage. Um, and I think the way that we can do that this morning is if there are problems between your brothers and sisters in this place, if you have an issue, all right, go and talk to them. And do that before you share communion, all right? You know, if, you aren't, if we aren't unified together, if there's upset, anger or hurt between you and others... How can we share in the unity of the church when there's disunity in this place? Your communion's more than just remembering the death and resurrection and new covenant afforded us by Jesus. But it's a mark of us being the body of Christ. It's a mark of our unity as a church, the church being the body of Christ. So if there's an issue this morning between you and another member of the church, don't take communion. All right? And that's okay. That is the right response to the situation. All right? No one's going to look at you and judge you. Oh, why isn't Nick taking communion this morning? <laughs> I knew I could pick on you. Um, you know, why isn't Nick taking communion? There must be a serious problem. You know what? If you're thinking that this morning, you need to come to God and pray. We need to come to him because he's gracious and merciful and he loves us. Um, so make, make the effort to repair the relationship today. Um, and before I pray, and we respond in worship, and we're going to have one song, and then we're going to um, uh, come share communion together. Um, so while we're singing this song, just be thinking, have you got any issues with anyone in the church? Or is there something in your life that you're just like, oh, God, okay, I need to resolve that. I need to bring it to you. And during this song, and while, while we share communion, just be praying, seeking him, turn to him. Um, and then we'll have sort of five minutes at the end to come and take communion if you would like. Um, if you're a believer here today, you are very welcome to share communion with us. Um, but if, you don't, if, you, if there is an issue and you need to resolve it and you haven't got opportunity today, don't, don't take communion today. But next time you do, make sure you've gone to your friend and you've solved it. All right? Push through. Talk to them. And remember it when you next come and say, thank you, Lord, that you did all this for me. And thank you, Lord, that that relationship is repaired. Thank you, Lord, that friendship is repaired.
Um, we had a wonderful speaker back in November, a chap called Mick Taylor, he's a good, good friend. Um, and he said this, we show how we treat the body of Christ taken carefully to the tomb by how we treat this body, the body of Christ here in the church. This family is the body of Christ um, that you, most, you take most care and greatest honour of people who feel least worthy. All right? So we need to care for one another this morning. Um, let's stand and I'll pray. Almighty God, I thank you that you give us good disciplines, good things to do, and you give us promises that go with them that help us to live holy lives walking with you. I thank you, Lord, that there is grace and mercy. Your mercies are new, new every morning, Lord. I'm so grateful that even today your mercies are new. And uh, even though we get things wrong, you are merciful and gracious. And uh, Lord, I thank you that you've called us. You're, we're a people that you've called to be your, your people, to be your sons and daughters. And I pray, Lord God, that as we sing this song, you'd speak to us and help us to feel free this morning to worship you, to restore relationship, and to remember who you are and all that you've done. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.